that's where I met Gary, my best friend. And we didn't end up working together. Well, I was working for him. He got me the job. It's a good job. Yeah, I liked it. I was a toy demonstrator. This low-budget farce has a frustrating tendency to set up promising situations only to squander them. Time out. A staggering romp, a cheery all-British comedy in the vein of four weddings and a funeral. The People. Unevenly paced low-budgeter lacks the smarts to travel very far from beyond home base, but should take over in ancillary variety. This week we watched Staggered. Hello and welcome to BritCon Goes to the Movies, the podcast where we test the supposition should successful small screen British comedy programmes and or talents make the leap to the big screen. Joining me as always, I was just wondering what colour his bush is, it's Guy Walker. And here's a man who calls his toilet Trevor, his shed Nicky and his garage Steve, it's Rob Heath. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about the 1994 film Staggered, uh, uh, directed by and starring Martin Clunes in the kind of height of his men behaving badly fame. Um, I've got some quick stats for you guy here. It was uh, released on the 8th of July 1994. That release coincided roughly with episode two of series three of Men Behaving Badly, which was the first one screened on the BBC. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that this was released kind of during Men Behaving, the height of Men Behaving Badly's fame. Uh, but actually, it was still gaining an audience on BBC at that point. Uh, we'll get into more of that later. Uh, it was known in Germany as Wedding Hangover and in Sweden as Staggered Sven Sexam, which... Uh, <laughs> I like that. Sven Sexam is the Swedish word for um, a stag party, apparently. Oh, perfect. Can you use that one? Uh, produced and distributed in the UK by Big Deal Pictures with a budget of 650k, um, which we'll go into uh, a few more of the details of the budget a bit later. Uh, in its debut week, it went to number three in the UK box office, uh, making almost all its money back in the first week uh, and eventually making £1.4 million in mm. the UK box office. We don't have international figures. But, uh, again, those figures might be slightly misleading, and uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, a directorial debut for Martin Clunes, uh, who is also the star of the film, uh, written by Paul Alexander and Simon Braithwaite, the latter as an ex-Empire journalist, uh, with both of them with a background in kids' TV, something that isn't going to be uncommon with writers of films we're going to talk about. Um, produced by Simon Braithwaite's sister, Philippa Braithwaite, who was a advertising uh, producer. Uh, she, she produced TV adverts. It has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 38%. Um, but I'm not sure how they've worked that one out. That, I think that seems to be mainly just audience scores as Rotten Tomatoes haven't displayed many um, contemporary reviews from the time, or any, actually, have they? No. They, they? They seem to be all audience reviews. So maybe that number is skewed a little bit, we hope, because <laughs> 38% doesn't, doesn't, doesn't fill well. me with... No, it doesn't bode well. Uh, a slightly more generous IMDb rating of 5.7. That's not bad. So, yeah, well, IMDb audiences seem to like it more than uh, 
amateur critics on Rotten Tomatoes. That's uh, that's what I've I've gleaned from there. Guy, you've been looking into cast and crew of Staggered and their Britcom credentials and connections. Yeah, so Martin Clunes, who is in the lead role of Neil, he started off in a sitcom called No Place Like Home, where he was, it's one of these family sitcoms where he played one of the kids, looking uh, very young, um, looks like he was in his teens when he made that. So he then became friends with Harry Enfield and appeared as a sporting player on um, his sketch show, kind of numerous different versions of it. Obviously, men behaving badly. Yeah, Harry Enfield, he was Tim Nicebit Dim's mate, I seem to remember. Yeah. In quite a few sketches. Yeah, that's it. I think he, I seem to remember him doing like an Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of impression or something similar, like a kind of spoof of maybe Terminator or something like that as well. Um, yeah, men behaving badly, which obviously uh, was uh, started off with Harry Enfield and then became Neil Morrissey who starred in, which Rob, I think you've got quite a bit of info on that. Um, in the 2000s, he did a lot of ITV comedy dramas such as Booze Cruise and Doc Martin. He was also in a remake of The Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin. And also his last sitcom was Warren. Yeah, I don't remember Warren. Uh, the Reginald Perrin remake, they, I think they just referred to it as Reggie Perrin, didn't they, after, after a couple of episodes? And I can't, my memories of it aren't great, mm. as in... I do remember it, and it wasn't great. <laughs> I never watched it, but I do remember that it existed. It, it it almost seemed like a yes, yes, it was Reginald Perrin, but also it was just him doing his uh, uh, Gary's frustration with George and Anthea in Men Behaving Badly stretch across an entire episode. Oh God, yeah. So maybe best left to history. Did did Reggie Perry need a remake as well? Is the other thing, I guess, but. You know, this isn't a podcast for that, so we'll move on. Film-wise, uh, he did Carry On Columbus. Um, yeah, Car- Carry On Columbus is uh, an interesting one, isn't it? Because mm. um, we're, we're still kind of deciding where Carry On's going to fit into this podcast and, and you know, whether, whether whether we do it as a separate run or a kind of mini-series because, we, we, yeah, it casts such a long shadow over British comedy film history that it's going to be difficult to leave it out but carry on columbus is an interesting one because obviously it's it's so many years after the fact it's a carry on revival um and it's not particularly canon in terms of cast because you know all the all the good ones were dead but uh it does have all the entire cream of tv comedy from that time in it doesn't it so i think we're gonna have that might have to be our starting point i think we yeah definitely have to come to it and maybe look at some of the good ones, some of the bad ones, and try and yeah work out where Carry On comes in. But with so many kind of stalwarts of British comedy and people who've gone from TV to film, it's definitely going to be something we look at. He was also in Shakespeare in Love, the Oscar-winning um, movie from 98, 99, somewhere around that, I believe. Uh, best, pi- best Picture for 1998. Ah. Um, although award ceremony in 1999. But yeah, uh I, it's it's funny to think that Martin Clunes is in the Best Picture winner, but good on him. Yeah, definitely. And his last starring role in a film was 2014's Nativity 3, Dude, Where's My Donkey? The um, the zenith of that particular series. Yeah, that, that franchise where it peaked, some may say, in Martin Clunes' house. Um, Michael Praed is the role of Gary. It's our second, well, supporting player. Michael Praed's aka Robin Hood from Robin of Sherwood. Yeah. ITV's yeah. Uh, 80s 
Robin Hood's adaptation. That's uh, right. And we're going to have another tenuous connection to me here, Guy, because oh, yes. that was uh, that was produced by my German teacher's husband, Trevor Hill. <laughs> Shouts out, Trevor. Uh, family friends of ours, my, my brother was best mates with their son. And so both my brother and sister were in that show. Brilliant. And uh, and so and the, 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 I think the very first scene from the first episode is the producer's son, Chris, getting spirited away by someone on a horse um and uh a lot of the time when i go to my brothers if we're and my sister's there as well if we're drunk enough we'll all watch it and laugh at them excellent i hope this becomes a regular section i'll do an impression a week and you'll do uh your connection robin is showing yeah there we go the, the, the six degrees of uh michael braid yeah that's it well you say that but he was also in the american soap opera dynasty Amazing. Which is great. And he was last seen in our very own dynasty, Emmerdale, up to 2019. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dynasty. Yeah. Like dynasty, the Yorkshire accent. Dynasty. dynasty. So, yeah, we've got Anna Chancellor, who's probably had the, the best career, maybe, out of anyone. Yeah, she's had the best kind of subsequent film career, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, this was a big year for her because she did Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, she was also in the BBC series of Pride and Prejudice. She was also in the Bill Murray film, The Man Who Knew Too Little, which is sort of when Bill Murray's kind of on the slide. Similar year to Rushmore, I think, but it's definitely the start of a, a brief decline, I'd say, before he starts to come back up in the noughties. I remember watching The Man Who Knew Too Little. I'd forgotten that she was in it. Uh, I probably didn't know who she was at that point. Mm. Um but yeah, my memories are probably not very good. Yeah, she was also in the Sardines episode of Inside Number Nine. The first. Classic, very first episode. Yeah, classic. It's always been one of my favourites, that, the first episode. Uh, great episode. She was also in a show I absolutely loved called The Hour with Ben Wishaw, Romola Gari and Dominic West, which was unfairly cancelled after two series. Yeah, I kind of gave up on that. Uh, and I don't really know why. Maybe I should give it another chance, Zilla. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth definitely worth a rewatch. It's a current Sorry. affairs program in the nineteen fifties, and it's got a bit of Mad Men to it, but it's also its own thing as well. And she was also in Tipping the Velvet, the uh, lesbian drama from the early two thousands. I I don't know what that is, guy. What's Tipping the Velvet? It was a Victorian no era. <laughs> I'll enlighten you, Rob. It was a TV drama on BBC Two starring Rachel Sterling and Keely Hawes about um, a young woman who um, tries to survive the music hall and lots of other things in the Victorian era who's also a lesbian. And It it was great. To be yeah. a Velvet was great. And not just from a teenager's point of view. It, it was also very good. Yeah, it was excellent TV. And yeah, it was really well done. And yeah, not just from a teenage boy watching Tipping the Velvet at that era as well. <laughs> um, Griff Reese Jones plays Graham. Obviously, I think comedy wise, he's a legend, you know, from his TV work with Not the Nine O'Clock News, Alas Smith and Jones with Mel Smith. And he also was in um, Wilt with Mel Smith and Alison Steadman, which we'll get to, which is his um, starring role in a movie. He's worked, he worked with Martin Clunes in the comedy drama D-Mob about two World War II soldiers continuing their double act after World War II, which I've never seen. 
and it also featured one of the last roles of Les Dawson before he sadly passed. So, a great loss. Yeah, I Les, Les Dawson playing the piano is one of those things that will always, just no matter how many times I've seen it, make me cry with laughter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, another another classic kind of performer in those sketches, and when he played the the kind of housewife role as well. There's just something that's just inherently funny about that. You've got Sylvia Sims uh, in the role of Margaret, who's one of the kind of, you know, these British stalwarts of 50s and 60s cinema. She, she was in Ice Cold in Alex, Expresso Bongo, the Cliff Richard movie, and The Punch and Judy Man with Tony Hancock, which we will get to at some point, I'm sure. Also, Virginia McKenna did a lot of British war films in the 50s. She was in Born Free, which is probably her most famous role. And she was also in the Peter Sellers film, The Smallest Show on Earth. It was an early role for Sellers, which is... Kind of a really nice sort of Sunday afternoon kind of gentle comedy, which I enjoy. The writers, Paul Alexander and Simon Braithwaite. So Paul Alexander wrote for Russ Abbott, Les Dawson, Jasper Carrot and Kenny Everett in the 80s. Same year as Staggered, he wrote an episode of Lovejoy. Post-Staggered, he wrote on, or rather did a bit of a punching up on Babes in the Wood, which has a bit of a tenuous link to some other stuff we'll look at. Babes in the Woods, starring the guy from the Flash adverts. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. Um, Keith Howman and, and Denise. Carl. Carl. Carl Howman. Carl. Carl Howman. And and brushstrokes as well. Um, yeah, Babes in the Woods, and that was um, was that Samantha Janus and Denise Van Alsen. Yeah, and another well. girl who was whose character name was Carolyn Munro. I remember. Oh God! Uh, Babes in the Wood, of course, not to be confused with the Jim Davidson stand-up special "Boobs in the Wood." <laughs> I don't remember that stand-up special. I have seen a brief bit of Jim Davidson stand-up, and it it seems apt. Um, yeah, I I haven't seen it, guy, but I uh, I remember it from video shops, and you can you can imagine the cover. Yes, I can. Yeah. And the one piece of Jim, Z- Jim Davidson stand-up I did watch was coming home late night from the pub in the kind of mid-2000s and every joke started with, there's a blonde bird with big tits. And that was most of the jokes. Yeah, hopefully his name doesn't come up too much uh, over the course of... <laughs> yeah. Over the course of this podcast, I'm, I'm struggling to think of any movie credits of his, although he did audition for and nearly get the parts of the artful dodger wow. in oliver so imagine that imagine how different that man's career and world outlook could have been if he if he just started down that hollywood path could have been so uh, different but we'll never know <laughs> and what we've ended up with is a bitter and twisted old ballad yeah exactly so yeah i want to mention babes in the wood because in a way it was one of the inspirations for spaced Simon Pegg has often brought it up saying that it was the Babes in the Wood was the epitome of what TV executives thought that young people were wanting to watch in the kind of late 90s. And they want to show actually what young people were into, um, which is interesting. So so they were railing against Babes in the Wood by making space. Yeah. So if you hadn't had Babes in the Wood, we might not have had space. So thank you, Babes in the Wood. <laughs> Thank you, man from Flash Advert. Yeah. <laughs> and Denise Van Outen and Samantha Janus and Carolyn Munro. Without you, it would not have been possible. Um, anyway, moving on from that, that Babes in the Wood tangent, the, um, him and Simon Braithwaite wrote a lot for S Club 7. Of, of course they did, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of um, 
CBBC and a lot of kids TV, which, as we've mentioned, isn't uncommon for uh, British TV comedy writers, I suppose the most um, obvious example of that is Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, who wrote on My Parents Are Aliens before going on to to Peep Show. And, and obviously we will cover both of them when we get to things like Four Lions. Mm. Well, Paul Alexander wrote on My Parents Are Aliens as well. So it just shows sort of where we're at. Um, and they also wrote for the Boise spin-off, The Green Green Grass, and Caroline Quentin's Life of Riley. So Simon Braithwaite also wrote on the S Club 7's TV output, a few episodes of My Hero, an episode of Goodnight Sweetheart, and also Babes in the Wood, the MVP of 90s British comedy. So Philippa Braithwaite was a producer, worked with Martin Clunes an awful lot, because um, she's his wife, but this they met when she wasn't his wife and they were uh, Martin Clunes was married to someone else. Um, credits include Hunting Venus, Dot Martin, Manhunt, and a lot of documentaries that Clunes has done about kind of dogs and travel logs and all that. And then Martin Clunes as a director of this film. So the only other credit he's got is a TV movie called Hunting Venus. Uh, do you remember watching that, Rob? No. Well, I, I think I remember it coming out, but I don't think I ever saw it. But the the visual of him as the new romantic uh, frontman sticks in my head yeah uh, it was quite good from what i remember i did watch it at the time it's like it's him and neil morrissey together again uh, like i said clunes directing it you've got jane horrocks ben miller and mark williams also showing up and the basic plot is that clunes's character is kidnapped by two fans one of them's jane horrocks in the kind of bid to get them the band back together to record a tv show where they play their hit song and those are our britcon connections so uh, so I've been looking into the genesis of Staggered, but I don't think we can talk about Staggered without talking about men behaving badly. Although Staggered obviously isn't a uh, direct spin-off of men behaving badly and bears little resemblance kind of plot-wise and character-wise, or does it? I think it it, it was very much made and capitalising on, um, on the emergence of that, of that programme. I Men Behaving Badly was originally made for Thames Television, adapted from writer Simon Nye's book Men Behaving Badly from 1989, about Gary and Dermot, two loser lads lusting after Deborah, the girl upstairs, um, even though Gary, Martin Clunes' character, uh, has a girlfriend, Dorothy. So Men Behaving Badly was originally considered to be adapted into a film by producer Beryl Virtue. She took it to Thames TV as a vehicle for Harry Enfield, who played Dermot in the first series. Um, he was cast first and he suggested Martin Clunes to play Gary after seeing him on stage and thinking he was funny. The first episode aired on ITV in February 1992 with the cast of Leslie Ash as Deborah and Carolyn Quentin as Dorothy. But after seeing the pilot, Enfield wanted out, claiming it was the opposite of what he was trying to achieve in sitcom. So I, I think he was expecting something a bit more subversive and a, doing something a bit different with the form. Uh, and then when he saw the pilot, was very disappointed that it seemed to be a kind of standard British studio sitcom. Yeah, I've, I watched it recently and he doesn't seem fully engaged in it. Was this after the first series that he kind of wanted to leave or...? No, it was before that. It was after the pilot, but he was contracted for the first series. So he um, stayed on for the first series, 
which is why he kind of looks bored all the way through it. If you go back and watch that first ITV series, he obviously wants to be anywhere else. So after the end of series one, Harry Enfield leaves and Martin Clune suggests Neil Morrissey. Beryl Virtue, the producer, hires Neil Morrissey as the character of Tony, uh, Gary's new lodger. Thames agreed to continue making the show if any one episode from that second series got 10 million plus viewers. Uh, but it peaked at only, at only 7 million, something that Beryl Virtue later lamented. You know, we would love to see viewing figures like that now. Can you imagine a show now getting 7 million viewers, a comedy? Like, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? So, I mean, back in those times to get 10, you'd be looking... Like, what do the Only Fools and Horses Christmas specials get? Like, 25 million people? It's bonkers. Yeah, well, this is it. So that, so that was deemed not enough, and Thames TV wanted out. So Virtue managed to... And, and, and this, as well, is something that's so kind of allowed at its time i think any t- any time kind of 10 years after this and it would have just been given up on mm. but barrel virtue sh- then shopped it to the bbc who agreed to air series three yeah i mean how many times have you seen a show move from one channel to another i think community did it i think in the um what 2010s for like one series on a streaming channel maybe but other than that i've not really seen that happen Bake Off is what I would say is the most recent example, or Taskmaster. Where did Taskmaster start? Dave and to Channel 4. Of course. Yeah, you forget that. I always thought it was on Channel 4, but yeah, that's uh yeah, that's really interesting. Um so yes, Beryl Virtue shops it to the BBC who agrees to air series three after the watershed, uh, which I think ITV's showtime was before. Um and they rather cannily scheduled it to go after already massive hit sitcom, Absolutely Fabulous. And so from there, it started to gain a cult following and then latterly a mainstream audience. You can really see how those two shows fit together, um, Ab Fab and Men Behave and Badly. And also the look of Men Behave and Badly when it moves to the BBC, it looks so much better. It's The ITV ones look really overlit and it's very kind of got that feel of an ITV sitcom. It's trying to break out of that ITV sitcom where it feels it can be a lot more sort of, I don't know, subversive is the right way, but definitely kind of target a more adult humour than maybe the ITV show was was um, producing. I know, which is kind of, you would think it would be the other way around, wouldn't you, with BBC and ITV? But um, there we go. That's where both channels were at at that point. And, you know, like you say, that was, that was obviously what made uh, Harry Enfield's as quickly as he could um i always i always feel my behaving badly is kind of misunderstood in hindsight it, it, it's remembered as capturing the lad culture zeitgeist which i actually think came kind of after its its peak popularity everyone involved at the time dismissed that as well saying that it was just laughing at two idiots who always failed while sympathizing with the long-suffering female characters yeah definitely i think it probably coming out in the like Britpop Oasis blur era probably didn't help it. You know, the whole lad culture and ladette culture of the kind of mid to late nineties that it kind of fed into. But I think looking back on it, it's probably more of a satire on that. And it was also a reaction against the new man, wasn't it? Of like the kind of eighties and early nineties. Exactly. And let's make no mistake. Gary and Tony are the butt of the joke. Yeah. And, continue to be 
but then I guess like all great sitcom characters that, you know, while they're essentially unlikable, there's something something about them that will always uh, endear you to them. 100%. Look at, you know, Basil Fawlty or Alan Partridge or whoever. I think that's the perfect, you know, the perfect analogy there. Um, so it ran for four more series on BBC, followed by a Christmas special and three final episodes that were later packaged together as a feature length episode for video and DVD called Last Orders. And they were shown over the Christmas period of 1998. Um, I love my behaving badly guy. I always have. I've watched those. Well, from from the time it went to the BBC, I guess that, you know, that that's when it gets really good. Series three to to series six and it and even last orders i'll I've re-watch it every every couple of years um and yeah i love it infinitely infinitely quotable as we have established from the start of this episode yeah definitely um i'd say it was a show that got me into comedy got me into sitcoms probably that and red dwarf but i was obsessed with member even badly every video that came out i used to buy it um i did have a break from watching it it was probably lockdown 2020 on that run up to Christmas because I, I wondered how it'd hold up after all these years you know it's one of those where you're like oh is it going to be one of them where it kind of is quite dated and you know it's going to be a little bit upsetting but I absolutely loved watching it again and in preparation for this I watched a couple of episodes from I think series five and oh it, it holds up so well the, the the way it's written the characters the interplay with them all it's obvious that those guys are the butt of the joke but because they're, they're played so well and there's a sort of childlike quality to them as well you can't really dislike them um it's yeah just thoroughly an, an enjoyable show and i think if anyone hasn't seen it go back and watch it it's on the streaming services and definitely worth a look i did go back and watch because i'd not seen the harry enfield ones um so i also watched the first episode of of that and yeah you can see harry enfield's not really interested and it's just there's the sort of kind of first shoots of what would become men behaving badly, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah, exactly that. Um, uh, it was the first thing I bought at university with my student loan was the men behaving badly <laughs> DVD box set, which got worn out quite quickly. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, me Anyway, too. Mo- moving on to the making of Staggered. As in, in my head, Staggered came out well into the BBC run of men behaving badly, kind of capitalising on that shows popularity, but it actually came during the shift from ITV to BBC. So when everyone was a bit kind of unsure about where that program's home was. So kind of billing Martin Clunes as this big uh, comedy star to, to sell a movie was, was bold. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely have said it was probably like series four or five, you know, in between those, because Martin Clunes was, you know, but looking from looking at his sort of um, filmography and whatnot, you can definitely see that he's in a lot of stuff. But I wouldn't have put him down as starring in a film because this usually happens when someone, you know, like we looked at Lesbian Vampire Killers last week, Matt Horn and James Corden were riding on the crest of quite a big wave and to do a film, whereas Martin Clunes, it sounds like that wasn't really the case. Still kind of relatively unknown. Uh, so, like I say, the, the film was released kind of one or two episodes into the first BBC run of Men Behaving Badly. Um, so as as that was gathering an audience. Um, originally, writers and producer uh, Braithwaite 
Braithwaite, Alexander and Braithwaite had uh, Comic Strip Presents director Sandy Johnson mm. in place to direct. Uh, but he'd accepted a lucrative contract to direct a BBC series called Roughnecks. What Don't was... know what that is. Right. Um, so, and obviously can't have been that lucrative as we can't remember it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, step in Martin Cleans. They asked Martin Cleans to direct. Um, and he... From an interview at the time, Martin Cleans recalled when, when asked to direct, well, I was asked to do it, and it was the kind of thing you don't say no to, really. It sounds very simple and lucky, but I'm a very simple and lucky man. I get a feeling with all of Martin Cleans' interviews at that time, he was kind of taking the piss a little bit. Mm. Uh, Cleans would direct himself as Neil, a hapless toy demonstrator, which uh, that's, that's an interesting uh, occupation for a lead character. I wonder if that's going to have any kind of plot payoff. Cleans <laughs> <laughs> would direct himself as Neil the hapless toy demonstrator uh, who has a mean prank played on him at his stag party dumped on the western isles of Scotland and has a race against time to get back for his wedding in London in a few days uh, so the first film the first scenes for Staggered that were filmed were the bits that it's perhaps remembered for if, it, if it's remembered for anything uh, the bits on the Isle of Barra in Scotland, the remote Scottish islands where Neil gets dumped naked. I'm, uh, and that's basically what I remember from, from trailers and certainly from the poster at the time. Griffey Jones was cast for some recognisable British comedy chops, as you've mentioned, and Anna Chancellor had a breakthrough supporting role after a small part as Duck Face in Four Weddings and a Funeral, which was released earlier that year. That is something that this film suffers from, and I guess all British comedy films subsequently suffered from, is that that's the most successful British comedy film of all time, certainly at that point, um, and this film has to be released in its shadow. It's probably still running in cinemas at that point, mm. um, and certainly Wet 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 would have still been number one at that point when it came out. Yeah, true. Well, just looking from so, the... Really, um, sorry, Rob. I was going to say, um, looking from the looking from the reviews of that time, Four Weddings is referenced quite a bit as well. So it's obviously in the kind of coattails of it. Yeah, so four wedding bells ringing in everyone's ears as Staggered gets released. Definitely. Uh, the one that raised an eyebrow for me in terms of casting was Michael Prade, who, who we've uh, spoken about, known by most audiences in the UK as ICV's Robin of Sherwood. Rather confusingly, his character has the name of Gary, uh, which, of course, is Martin Clean's character name in Men Behaving Badly. So I wonder how confusing that would have been for audiences going to watch Staggers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I remember watching it for the first time and being confused about it and being like, why have they done this? And watching it again, it seems, you know, you've got the name of the the lead act, one of the lead actors in Men Behaving Badly is Neil, which is Mike Clues, and then he's calling someone Gary. And yeah. I mean, as director, you'd change those character names, wouldn't you? Well, speaking of Neil's, Clunes also gave Neil Morrissey a cameo role as Jeff, the wedding video director. Uh, by then, Clunes and Morrissey were good friends, obviously, from Emma Behaving Badly. Uh, the makers of Staggered did try to court an American audience while they were making it. Uh, Clunes remembers that they were trying to make things as, as colourful, with, with as colourful a sheen as possible. And there was a lot of deliberation on set, he recalls, of the use of the word bollocks, wondering if, if Americans would know what it meant. 
Uh, but he didn't worry too much because it made little to no impression stateside. But as mentioned earlier, did okay in the UK, debuting at number three in the box office charts behind Beverly Hills Cop 3 and Bad Girls. I don't mind Beverly Hills Cop 3. Mm. Much maligned. Yeah, I read a book recently called Wild and Crazy Guys about the kind of comedy mavericks of the 80s and 90s. And I think Eddie Murphy wasn't particularly interested in doing Beverly Hills Cop 3. It was more of a, a studio venture. So, yeah, for me, not a great one. But I think Eddie Murphy was at that point in his career where he didn't really give a shit about films. <laughs> well, yes, well, just, just taking the money. Mm, definitely. Um, Staggered made its money back comfortably in the first two weeks of the UK box office, going on to gross 1.4 million in the UK. But this came at the cost of a huge advertising campaign, uh, which I guess is why I have a memory of it without having seen it until we did the research for this film, because it was everywhere. It was Mm. everywhere in the summer of 1994. It was on buses. The posters were everywhere. There were so many TV spots and they were very much selling it as Man Behaving Badly, the film. Uh, which we'll go on to see probably is, didn't do staggered any favours. Uh, but the, the cost of that massive advertising campaign meant that nobody involved in the making of it made particularly any money out of it. Um, although, you know, looking back on it, obviously its numbers look half decent. Um, it, it wasn't because they took that gamble on the huge uh, on the huge marketing campaign. But if they hadn't, it probably wouldn't have performed well at all at the at the box office and maybe sunk without a trace and we wouldn't be talking about it at all now, Guy. Yeah, I was just going to, I just want to say, you know, maybe the post, I think the post is probably one of the more iconic things about it with mm. the kind of Martin Clunes um, sort of half-naked looking bedraggled and like he's just washed up. I think that kind of gives it that member having badly feel. It's like, oh, well, what, what has Martin Clunes been up to, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you've got to wonder with that big um, marketing budget if it should have should have performed better. You know, it's not like the two the two movies above it in that first week of the UK box office were kind of massive classics of the nineties. Beverly Hills Got Three and and Bad Girls. I don't remember actually, Bad maybe Girls. To be fair, oh, it was a uh, western with uh, Madeline Stowe and I can't remember who else is in it. But yeah, you know, not kind of huge block huge summer blockbusters mm. uh so yeah maybe it should have performed better uh so we're going to get into this movie now guy you've already said that you'd watched it before yeah i think i was about 12 or 13 something like that i remember like recording it on vhs and watching it and i really enjoyed it at the time um i thought it was yeah i thought it was great it's one of those that were kind of look back on and go, oh yeah, that was really good. And ne- never watched it again, but I remember watching it the first time and, and really enjoying it. So I was interested to see what it would be like on Second Go. It's not on any streaming services. You can watch it on YouTube. I bought the DVD, which is from about 2000 or something, which is just a VHS transfer in 4 by 3 So yeah, you can see where, where Stagger, there's no BFI reappraisal 4K edition yet. But you never know. We might we might get one. I did want to bring something up actually um, before we get into the film. So in 1993, Martin Clunes was in an episode of a, a TV was well, a TV series called Rick Mail Presents for uh, ITV for Granada Television, and it was these kind of one-off TV movies. 
and the dancing queen um, starred Rick Mail, Helena Bonham Carter, and the role of um, Neil was Rick Mail, who was a bridegroom trying to get back to his bride with the help of his newfound friend Pandora slash Julie Bonham Carter, and um, yeah, he's had his drink spiked by his his mate Nigel, and he's left on a train in Scarborough. So. Very similar mm, plot. That plot sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, and also the name of the lead character who gets left by his best man, Neil. Uh, well, there you go, Guy. I mean, uh, yeah, so I, I never saw Staggered at the time, certainly not when it was released. Well, we'd have been too young to go and see it at the cinema when it was released. And I, I didn't watch it subsequently, although my in my head... I had, but have, having rewatched it for this, I, I certainly hadn't, and I'd obviously just remembered the the TV spots and stuff. Is it a thing that you'd kind of wish you'd watched, or was it on your radar at the time of it of it coming out? You know, when it played on television. I guess the the timeline for my love of Memory Haven Badly came later and was all a bit more retrospective. Because actually, in 1994, I was nine years old, so I think yeah, I. I I wasn't getting into Member Haven Badly until probably a couple of years later. Uh, I think I was getting into it then, but I always had a kind of weird thing for watching things that I probably shouldn't. So at nine or ten, yeah. <laughs> I remember watching Dirty I, I, Harry at, uh, at like nine or ten. So just showed where I was at. Yeah, I did as well. But I, yeah, I think staggered. I, I, I remember watching Four Weddings and a Funeral at the time, but then who didn't mm. and uh no so yes for this watching staggered for the first time let's uh let's get into staggered shall we let's do it nobody move i said nobody move i can't move i've broken every bone in my body i've been abandoned arrested interrogated, abducted, and now to cap it all, I'm stuck in the middle of the great jungle cafe heist of 94. What next? I could shoot you. You'd just be doing me a favor. Just before you kill me, will you answer me one question? What? Why an armed raid on a jungle cafe in Solial? Is it a dry run? You working your way up to a Burger King? We just only wait the local we open on what looks like a VHS confession of a police interview. Martin Clunes describes his best mate Gary, who he's known since he was a kid, and Gary had got him a job as a toy demonstrator. What do you think? As you said, Guy, straight off the most annoying thing about this film is the fact that they've called Michael Prade's character Gary. Mm. When Martin Clunes is known for being Gary from Men Behaving Badly, and you would think that Martin Clunes, being the director, might have flagged this when they were ma- when they were making this film. And you know, it maybe would have suggested, isn't this going to be a little bit confusing for audiences who know me for my character named Gary, and I'm constantly referring to someone else called Gary. I mean, yeah. he's done three series of Men Behaving Badly. Well, the third series is coming out, so you would have thought getting seven million viewers is quite a big figure. That you'd go, you know what? Let's change this. I'm the director. Maybe it wasn't a bigger problem at the time as it as it seems to be in hindsight, but I I just couldn't get beyond that because every mm. time they re- reference Gary, I think they're talking about Martin Clunes and they're not. They're yeah. talking about Michael Prade. He's talking about himself in the third person. 
<laughs> Gary wouldn't do that. <laughs> Um, and then we have a sequ- the title sequence with kids playing with toys in, in what looks to me like a Toys R Us, while we have what I described as jaunty library music playing over it. Yeah, the music, the music's up and down at best, if I'm being kind. <laughs> Pick one style and stick to it. Yeah. But I mean, early on, so that CCTV bit and the, and the title sequence, I actually think it feels like Martin Clunes has given it a go, you know, directorial debut. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and put some interesting flourishes in. There's a little uh, that shot of the kid going past on the trike, obviously reminiscent of, of The Shining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe he was referencing it. Maybe you know, but you know, not being kind enough. Although I did notice a few shots being reused, and he he do definitely use that tracking shot of the kid on the tricycle a couple of times. If you're reusing shots within the first five minutes of the film, it's not a good sign, is it? It doesn't bode well. Yeah, so we follow Neil. Oh, no, so it's not Neil. It's uh, it's Gary. So we follow Gary, who works in the toy shop. Why do they all wear beige blazers? I don't know. And then he's walking down the stairs. He spots a couple of girls who work there and thr- thrusts his crotch at them, and they absolutely love it. So straight away, we've got... Um some visual shorthand for this guy's a prick <laughs> yeah they don't even try and dress it up that um you know he might be a duplicitous character he's just openly an asshole and that is gary played by michael prade um which which i think would have been better as having him as a as a duplicitous character and having it as a bit of a reveal because now we're kind of expecting him to do something awful early doors yeah um, yeah, exactly. So I don't think that helps. Um, so Neil, the Mike Clunes character, asks Gary if he can finish early to go and see the vicar because he needs to speak to him because he's getting married on Saturday. Um, we don't get that scene with the vicar. The next thing we've got is Neil going to see his fiance Hillary uh, to talk about the church service, and she's a holiday maker, works in a, a travel agents. Yeah, that scene a bit of nineties nostalgia. The well, nineties and pre. Nostalgia making making me pine for the days of travel agents, guy. Well, t- travel agents were fun going in with your parents when they're booking a holiday. It was very exciting. Yeah, exactly. Those days are gone. Oh, the bloody internet. Bring back travel remember, agents. Remember travel agents. <laughs> Feels like a Peter K bit. Does this? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Hillary. It's quite. It's revealed that she doesn't seem like a particularly nice person. She's rude to a, an old couple who are trying to book a holiday by telling them to not to look at pages five and six because they can't afford it. Uh, I did like the line about human rights issues in Turkey, though. Uh, yeah, well, it's something that's still relevant today. I actually, I, I like this scene again, setting her up as being not a particularly nice character, but also there's some funny dialogue in this bit. Yeah, this is a, a scene with some of the some of the snappier dialogues and uh, and obviously there's, there's a character beat there letting you know that actually should he be marrying her mm. yeah i like that it's, it's quite subtle as well i think for this for this film it is is that bit so mm-hmm. I, I like that bit it's revealed that hillary is gary's ex and gary is the best man we have i um... still think you're talking about martin clunes here guy oh, I, yeah. I mean i know you're talking about michael braid but <laughs> this is the problem with this it is the biggest problem with this yeah. film yeah 100% it was at the time when I watched it in 1998 or whenever it was and it it is it was re-watching it in 2023 um yeah we have a bit that there's another bit actually quite liked where Hillary is um 
getting uh, taken off her wedding dress with her mother and she's just sort of got the veil and in a kind of leopard print um, bra and knickers and stockings and says, um, you know, mum, will I look like a princess? And she says, you are a princess, my darling, which I actually quite quite like. That as a nice little character. First appearance, first appearance of Sylvia Sims there. Yeah, Sylvia Sims, yeah, as the, as the awful mother. Been? But she's really, yeah, exactly. I think she's good in, in the role as this sort of awful woman. But already we're seeing everyone's being set up as awful, mm. apart from Martin Clunes, but we're not really given that much to like about him yet. He's just a bit of a blank. Yeah, he's just he's just there, he's, isn't he? He's a, he well, he, I, I think, and, and this is how it transpires, he, he's a vessel for all the silly shit that happens around him. Mm, yeah, just he just sort of reacts to things, doesn't he, in that kind of Martin Clunes kind of rubbery face way, I think. Um well, we have a nice juxtaposition between Neil's shithole flat and Gary's nice, chic, very 90s apartment, which I quite liked. Um, yeah. I, yeah, he's being set set up as, as yuppie, yuppie bellend, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it turned out that Gary had cheated on Hillary, hence why they broke up. And then we're in this pub. Um, we're not really told where, and Gary spikes Neil's drink with, and then we have a weird sound effect at, at this point, which I don't really understand why. And then we keep cutting to a pilot who looks like he's just walked off the set of Top Gun, and it's sort of like blue neon lights, and yeah. I think that's what they're reaching for then. But it does, you know, if, you, if you're not expecting that, it's like, why are we seeing a helicopter pilot all of a sudden? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, definitely. And then we're in the toilet and we can hear the sound of the helicopter as Neil passes out. We have this this song title game going on. Yeah. Again, one of my favourite bits of dialogue in this film is is them exchanging uh, song titles. I did start writing them all down, given that we started our um, Spotify playlist for this podcast. Uh, but in the end, I couldn't be asked to just enjoy the <laughs> Yeah, well, I did write down uh, This Town It Isn't Big Enough for the Both of Us by Sparks is the last song. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, and, and at that point, that's suggestive of Gary wants to get rid of Neil. Mm. The hell? Uh, he also says, and uh, he also says, and I'd written down with a gritted teeth emoji, I agree with Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the payoff to that line is, don't stop till you get enough. Perfect. I mean, what, this is 1994, so we're kind of in the depth of allegations towards Michael Jackson, are we? Yes, I think um, I, I think that's when his case gets thrown out. I think that's that year, or maybe 95. It's certainly around the Earth Song mm. time. Yeah, anyway, moving on from Michael Jackson. A helicopter lands in the pub car park. Gary and another lad put Neil on it. And then Neil wakes up naked on a beach, woken by waves and a wedding ring box. And this, so that, so that's a famous image from the marketing of this film, isn't it? That and, yeah. and that shot, that shot is nice of him, of the of the wedding ring box kind of blowing into shot off the um, off the waves of the by the beach. Yeah, that's right. Um, so he meets Virginia McKenna as character Flora, who. There's a quite a ropey Scottish Highlands accent. There you go. There's your first guy. That's more, my... please. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, that wasn't great, but I do think it's better than Virginia McKenna came up with for the film. Naked Martin Cleans. Yeah. Surprisingly good shape. Yeah, doesn't look too bad in 1994, does he? No. <laughs> or is it surprising? <laughs> for a man known for his weird face, maybe his, uh, his ripped body should have got a, a bit more of an airy. Yeah, he, he should have got that out out more. Maybe that's what the uh, yeah the ladies were were seeing in, in Martin Clunes. You know, it's uh, don't look bad. I think I think we might disagree on this, but I like the uh, the re- the realization that he's on a remote island with the jump cuts. Oh no! For the music, you hate it. I like it. No, really didn't like that. I was just like, why are we doing this? Come on! It felt so dated to me. Did did that bit? It felt like something from the eighties. And this is 94. Can you, can you remember what the name of the island is? What Did they I, call the island? The Isle of Kilcraig? No? Grim, the Isle of Grim Craig. Oh, uh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty on the nose, isn't it? Yeah, just a bit. Again, it's not one of my favourite bits, like the editing. Um, I, I put as well that this scene looks reminds me of the video for Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. Oh, I thought that that was on the Twin Towers, so maybe I've seen the wrong one. Was that for the re-release, perhaps, or for the international audience? There's definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it, they're on some kind of windswept cliffs. Yeah, winds, <laughs> they're on some kind of windswept cliffs, uh, and Dave Garn's dressed as a king. So, really, it bears very little resemblance other than the, <laughs> the coastal bad weather. <laughs> Can you imagine if they were in the background? As Martin Clunes wakes up. Yeah. The, uh, guys, we're filming a music video here. Fuck <laughs> off. The score would have been a lot better with the Pesh Mode doing it. Do you reckon the budget for uh, Enjoy the Silence music video was bigger than uh, Staggered? 100%. I'd love to see, I'd love to compare the two, but I definitely think, I think um, what the Pesh Mode made as well off Enjoy the Silence probably more than Staggered did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Neil exchanges his watch for a ride on the boat back to the mainland. She asks him, if is Andy Williams still alive? To which the answer now is obviously no. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, at the time was yes. Yeah, and then he asks her if the where the phone box is, and she's like, how would I know? Because I don't live there, because she's been on an island on her own for the last 50 years. I'm quite surprised at this point at how quickly he stops panicking and suddenly has the wherewithal to know what to do and, and what his plan of action should be to get off the island. Like, I, I think it would be much more truthful if he was kind of running around losing his shit. Yeah. Because you would in that situation. But obviously not that anything about this film is, is realistic and, and in fact set up not to be so, you know, set up with lots of elements of surrealism, which we're going to, we're going to get into a bit later, but it, yeah, that that kind of felt a bit weird. Mm. Um, and the, yeah, the the idea of going into uh, phone boxes and remembering phone numbers is uh, <laughs> something very much of the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're back on our. Do you remember the nineties? But it was it was at this point that I'm thinking, uh, I this is not what the film that I'm. Is it? It's at this point that I'm thinking this is not the film that I was expecting and that I was remembering. For some reason, I got it into my head that this, it was some kind of stag party gone wrong romp, uh, you know, with, with him on an island with other characters. 
Mm. But actually, it's not that at all, is it? It's it's uh, a kind of race against time farce, which, again, something I'm all in for. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like it might have squandered that. And it always frustrates me when uh, when movies are marketed in, in the wrong way and making making this film seem like something it isn't. Yeah, it's sort of not a good idea, probably. Yeah, it's got a bit of a it's a mad, 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 mad world kind of vibe to it. I think, particularly with a lot of people showing up for one scene that we'll get into later. That's what they're aiming for, but it's not as good as it's a mad, 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 mad world. Nowhere near. He's got to get to Inverness Airport though at this point, guy, isn't he? Well, yeah, and we have one of the things that I dislike the most in uh, in Staggered where Hillary's talking about Gary, he's his own man, he doesn't just follow the flock, cut to Gary, following some sheep and talking, falling over. Guys, she's not talking about Gary, she's talking about Neil. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Case in point, and we're going to keep doing this, and I, I hate to nail this reference into, <laughs> yeah. into the ground, but it was a bad idea calling him Gary. That's from my, that's me reading my notes as well, and so yeah. But the case in yeah, and the second case in point is there's quite a few of those jokes that set up, and then we see a visualization of it afterwards to hammer home the point. It doesn't just follow the flock. Cue a picture of a sheep. Yeah, of him. Yeah, following some sheep up a hill and falling over. So then Neil is dressed. Yeah, in my notes I've called him Gary again. So again, another case in point. <laughs> So I've got, I'm fighting my own notes here. <laughs> so Neil is dressed in bits of old fishing net and he finds a phone box and he, fall, he phones Gary who tells him there's a key under the ring in the ring box for a locker at the airport, which will have clothes and a plane ticket to Newcastle, but no money. So this is a bit where he gets to Inverness Airport. Gary's also in bed with another woman and Neil gets a lift to the mainland off her off a pilot does he finds a, a water plane and yeah well he t- he just asks he begs the pilot to give him a lift and the pilot says yeah just finishing my tea on you get and it's that easy and 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 then there's a big advert for british airways when he arrives at inverness oh i miss that oh a lovely big british airways banner filling most of the screen in a bit reminiscent of uh something similar in moonraker in rio de janeiro <laughs> there's a huge british airways advert British Airways uh, paying top dollar to staggered for a bit of tourism. And, and he has to get to an airport locker, which such a thing, I'm not sure if such a thing even existed at the time. It certainly doesn't now, post 9-11. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's another thing of maybe we need to fact check that one at a later date. But another, do you remember the 90s reference? Do you remember lockers and at, at this airports? Point, at this point as well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the music. At this point, the, the music goes a bit Weekend at Bernie's style, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing. I love Weekend at Bernie's. I'm a Weekend at Bernie's apologist. It's got some brilliant slapstick comedy in it. But if you're going to invoke Weekend at Bernie's... You better do it well. Yeah, the, I mean, quickly, let's get into the The soundtrack is all over the place. We start off with a kind of country bluesy kind of thing and then at one point it's some sort of calypso music that sounds like john shuttleworth on a casio keyboard or mike reed's ukip calypso (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think i'd rather hear the staggered soundtrack or the score but than that but yeah definitely cheap would be the uh would be the way to call it 
Um, so Neil finds a locker, he gets changed, and as he does so, he's eyed up by two middle-aged cleaners, middle-aged female cleaners, who also work in the airport doing the security for the baggage control. I think that's that's a joke of, about a uh, about provincial airports, is it? Yeah. This actually is Inverness Airport, by the looks of it, because I flew to Inverness last year, and it looks very similar to the way it does now. So, yeah, everything on location. Oh, in nice. A very, uh, in the opposite to Lesbian Vampire Killers, in which everything was on the same set, on almost exactly the same set. Yeah, everything on a soundstage, where at least with this. Yeah, yeah I did I did have a look, and I couldn't, to try and find some, you know, like real streets or something like that, but there was very kind of little information on where things were shot. I think there was a, a street in Bow early on, in London where they shot some stuff, but yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's on location in, uh, on the Isle of Barra, uh, and then in Newcastle and London and Kent. Then we have a weird joke where, where Neil, I nearly said Gary then, where Neil is sat on the plane next to an Orthodox Jewish man playing a Game Boy for no reason. And then by the end of the flight, the Orthodox Jewish man is asleep and Neil is now playing on the Game Boy. So another one of those great, another one of those great visual gags from Staggered there. This is, and this is going from Inverness to Newcastle at this point. Yeah. At which point he gets arrested. Yeah. So it has one of my kind of pet peeves of films is where you have a plot contrivance that doesn't make any sense. So the cabin crew put out a PA for Neil to identify himself, where he is then put in handcuffs as he puts his hand up. They slap the the cuffs on him. We're now in a police station. It's not even an interview room. It's the detective's office, which is just covered in plant pots. I don't know why. Well, and and the detective is the guy, the coach from Footballers' Wives. Oh, yeah. I think he was in Mean Machine and I looked at the Italian job. And he's doing a very over-the-top, brummy accent. (laughs) (laughs) He is. A bit like that. But he he actually is a brummy, isn't he, though? Yeah. So that's fair enough. Yeah, but yeah, he's definitely... Unlike what I just did, which is deeply, deeply insulting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it's not... It's not great, but I, I actually didn't mind the detectives' performance. Apart from the over-the-top Brummie accent, I did quite like the the performance. It's quite cartoon-like in some respects, which, yeah. I, I think with this film, you know, not to get into it too early, but I don't think it knows which way to go. Does it go cartoony? Does it, you know, go a different way? It's kind of, like we say, tonally a bit all over the place. So Neil's been arrested. So it's all filmed in one shot from the side, like that scene in Hunger with Liam Cunningham and Michael Fassbender. I just was hoping it didn't last that long, the full 18 minutes. Luckily it didn't. And we have one of our, the toys of our youth brought out, Rob, Sonic the Hedgehog. Not set, not set up, though. At any point, You don't see any Sonics in the toy shop at the beginning, or at least I don't remember. No, you don't. No, that's that's right. Um, yeah, you don't, yeah, it's not set up at all. So apparently Neil is going to fence a thousand Sonics from the toy shop and they've all been found in his flat. And then Neil's put in his cell. We have um, an ADR line about keeping your back to the wall and your hands on your bollocks. And Neil's in a cell with a bloke called... There's that word, bollocks, that they were deliberating over whether to use it. Thank and God they was did. Was it worth it? No. <laughs> was it worth it for an ADR line? <laughs> 
Do you think they made the decision? That makes sense. Well, well, if they deliberated, they they probably made the decision on the floor. No, we can't use that word because nobody in America knows what it was. And then overruled later because no one in America is going to watch this anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we might as well put bollocks back in. Yeah, I like I like the fact that they ADR'd it back in later. You know, we, we can have that line. <laughs> well, actually, the word's going to have, um, it's going to be quite important right at the end as well, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. So Neil's in a cell with a bloke called Nutter. Why did I call yeah, you? Yeah, I mean that that is a placeholder character name, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I, I love that. Why did Why did they call you Nutter? The jokes come thick he'd and have, fast. He'd have been written in script as Nutter, as a kind of description of his character, and maybe they misunderstood that as, oh yeah, my name is Nutter. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so we have a weird scene that starts off with a threat of sexual assault and ends up being a Scrabble game. Yeah, pulls a travel Scrabble out of his pants. <laughs> yeah. What does he say? I've, I've got something in my trousers for, for you or something like that. Yeah. It means we can have a lot of fun and then gets out of travel Scrabble. That's right. They have a dispute over a word, so Nutter headbutts Neil and he ends up in hospital. He's got a broken arm and he's handcuffed to the police officer. Not handcuffed to the bed, to the Brummy police detective. Um, and then... <laughs> now, it's you, now it's you insulting people from Birmingham. Yeah, and I'm not from Birmingham, so I can't get away with it. So, yeah, there's yeah, I apologise. Um, Anna Chancellor shows up as a gothic doctor who works in a morgue. And she seems to be turned yeah. on by the fact that Neil's under arrest. And she's left her phone on a corpse, oh, like we all do. These women working in morgues, leaving phones on corpses. Yeah, um, so... It's yeah. all getting very weird by this point, isn't it? And yeah, she asks him... And, and that's, that's the point, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think she's meant to be quite an odd character, maybe, because like, she looks like a bit of a goth and she works in a morgue. Oh, I- and I've has... made a note at this point that this is definitely not men behaving badly. And so the idea that it was marketed as such becomes even more silly. Yeah, definitely. Especially when she's like asking him if he was abused as a child, when he tells her there's no dial tone, because um, it turns out she's an amateur psychologist. Yeah, and all amateur psychologists would immediately ask somebody, were you abused as a child? Mm, yeah, um, Neil phones Gary to help him. I mean, why does he still trust Gary at this point? And is this why Gary is uh, nicking money off kids as well? Uh, yeah, so yeah, this home. This guy's a bad guy, and he works in a yeah. He works in the toy. It's in the toy shop that he's stealing money off children. Um, yeah, he asks Gary to ring Hillary and explain what happens. Would you ring your supposed best mate who previously gone out with your girlfriend to let him know what's happened to you? No, he should have been putting two and two together at this point, Guy. He should have, but he doesn't. <laughs> so, yeah, Gary robs the money off some kids. And then we have our first dream sequence of Neil doing a speech at a wedding. This is Martin Clune's, uh, Martin Clune's attempt at Salvador Dali in uh, directing that dream sequence in Spellbound. Yeah. Or, or more likely trying to be a bit David Lynch. I quite like these dream sequences. They're, it's they... weird and I like it. Yeah, I quite like them. It comes across a bit student filmy um, at times, or, you know, definitely got that kind of David Lynch Twin Peaks kind of vibe to it, because I guess we'd be quite, you know, 
in the kind of Lynch period at, at this point. Also reminded me of the dream sequence from the Magical Mystery Tour where John Lennon is shoveling spaghetti bolognese onto the large woman's plate. Um, and that's obviously, again, the Beatles directing that's also got kind of student film vibes to it. But I, I do quite like it. It's, it's suitably weird and a bit disarming, so I do quite like it, uh, even if it's not fully successful. So, yeah, the... Um, the cop tells an old man off and he's got a toilet. He wakes up to find that Neil's gone. He's uh, ripped the plaster off while he was asleep and taken the handcuffs off. Um, Neil is driving a Citroen CV one-handed. The cop chases after him and face plants... car from For Your Eyes Only, I think. Yeah, my mum had one growing up as well, so I remember him quite fondly. Uh, that, yeah. The cop chases... It looks after- good. Yeah, oh, sorry? Looks good on screen. Yeah, it looks yeah, it looks really good. Uh, I think it was a good choice to have that car. It fits, I think it fits. It's Anna Chancellor's car or her character Carmen. It's her car, so it fits. I think it fits with that character. So the cop chases after him, and he face plants a lamp post, knocking him out. Which, again, I did because it's tonally a bit all over the place. It's a bit of like of a to me, it was a bit of a groan. Like, oh, we're we're going for that, are we? It feels a bit cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So we have shots of the car driving through the countryside. Neil finds a phone box, one of the old BT ones from our, do you remember the 90s? BT, BT ones from the 90s, yeah. Yeah. He calls uh, Dr. Spenny Peg, which is uh, Anna Chancellor's character's name. Yeah. Again, I, I mean, even, even with her name, it feels like the writers here, they're interested in her, that she is the character that they're interested in the most and seemingly not particularly anyone else. So they they give her a lot of kind of backstory and a lot of interesting things. And even down to her name, you know, like she has a, an interesting and memorable name and the others just have confusing names. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he tells um, Carmen and the chancellor that he's going to give her a car back and then it rolls off a cliff. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it's just one of those things that I just, I don't know. They are definitely invoking for your eyes only with a um, with a Citroen CV rolling off a cliff. Mm, yeah, true. It just the the references seem quite dated. I think to me, we've got Griffey Stones about to turn up as well. <sighs> Thank God. Yeah, Neil walks into a local village, stops off uh, at the cafe to use the phone. Fionn's uh, he phones Hillary's house, uh, but there's no answer because they're too busy cleaning. And then Griffiths Jones joins Neil at his table doing a Welsh accent, see? Um, and he's a, a sweater shaver salesman and high-tech lollipop man. Yes, which, of course, is obviously turns out to be a euphemism for something else. He manages to make two blowjob jokes within his character, within the first minute of his character being introduced. Yeah, he um, he presumes Neil has marriage problems and then he goes, I did write one of them down, women, you can't live with them and it's anatomically impossible to get a blowjob by any other means. Great. Yeah, he offers Neil a lift to Solly Hull. Um I put Griffiths Jones's character is a sexist pig in my notes. Yeah, and, and he has the word stallion on his licence plate. Yeah, you can tell a man by the private number plate that he has. In that journey to Solihull, there is a line that is so of its time and such a kind of topical joke where he says, I've seen things so awful that they wouldn't show them on satellite TV. 
I remember in the 90s, just all kind of, on mainstream television, all kinds of jokes about the poor quality of, of satellite and Sky TV, jokes about square reels, etc. Bob Monkhouse used to make loads of jokes about satellite TV. On uh, I'm sure I remember him doing some poem about Sky One on an episode of Wipeout or something. Wow, yeah, that that definitely. I don't really remember those. So yeah, it's well, it's a good. We've got two da- memory. Sorry, two dated jokes back to back. So you've got that line, and then you've got the the line about uh, a car phone and people with car phones being pricks and car phones not working. Yeah, which, I think you know. that was very much a uh, a thing of the kind of early to mid nineties, wasn't it? If you had a, a mobile phone or a car phone, you were automat- you were automatically a tosser. Um, yeah. yeah. So. We have um, one, I'd say, British comedy all-star about to appear in this Yeah, film. Julia Deakin, best known as, uh, well, best known for comedy audiences as Jill from Alan Partridge and Marsha from Spaced. Yeah, definitely. Hello, Brian. <laughs> Hello, You're Brian. supposed to do the voices, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, Rob. I'm enjoying it. We're, we're switching I'll things up on episode two. Uh, and she's a sex swapper in Solihull. Yeah, it's a swingers party. Preoccupied with, wash, preoccupied with washing up. Um, yeah, so Griff, um, yeah, I said it looks like dirty Griff is up to no good in my notes. Um, Julia's, so yeah, he's he's told um, Neil that he, you know, that he needs help with a sale, with a sales call that he has to do. It turns out the swingers trying to get, Neil involved. Um, Jill, Julia's mate shows up dressed in a police uniform, which Neil thinks he's going to get arrested. And it turns out she's now off duty, just ready to have a bit of uh, sex swapping in suburbia. But yeah, and Griff says that he wants to be led around the house by his dick, but Julia's, Julia's got the washing up to do first. So, um, yeah, that, that was a bit. Yeah, I, I I can see the joke they're trying to make there, but it's a bit naff. Yeah, and we've got Griffiths Jones dressed in a dog collar and a thong with uh, spikes on the crotch, looking like an extra from Mad Max. Um, so, yeah, Neil escapes and steals Griff's car. Luckily, it's an automatic. The police stop him and quiz him about the number plate, which we've said is stallion contents of the boot, which he says is nose trimmers. But when he opens it, it's just full of sex toys. And Neil's been arrested again. And particularly that toy in the interrogation room, what is that meant to be with, you know, with the big pink spikes? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I wonder if that was maybe, a... Le- maybe I'm just too much of a prude guy, but that looks <laughs> fucking painful. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the sex toy obviously goes off um, during the interview. Sylvia Sims shows up and goes on this speech about how when Hillary was, was a child, uh, she got her a donkey, but the donkey had behavioural problems. So she had the donkey destroyed and she basically says that Neil is a donkey, spineless, directionless, achieved nothing and dragged Hillary down to his level. And Sylvia Sims won't let him. She wants him to be locked away and for the, the police to throw away the key. Neil tells her that he'll be there at the wedding. And then this is all really resolved really quickly. Neil's got an alibi for the stolen Sonic the Hedgehogs. And the cop, the inspector, the Brummie inspector is still trying to pin something on him. Then Anna Chancellor shows up and tells and he them. He says, "Well, the, the inspector at that point says, which is again one of my favourite lines. Probably says more about me than anything else. One of my favourite lines from the film. He says, you so much as fought in a clear air zone, and I'll have ya.' <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, terrible, terrible, but funny. Yeah, 
yeah, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> um, Carmen shows up and tells the copper that she had loaned the car to Neil and now he's free to go. Um, and she's got a new car. I mean, what is this in the space of a day and the insurance company have already paid out on a new car for her? Which I, I think might be a Mini Metro, so... <laughs> a good good comedy car. Exactly, exactly, which obviously uh, comes up in one of our favourites in I'm Alan Partridge. So, yeah, she picks him up. They go to a cowboy-themed restaurant and uh, she thinks he's a violent sociopath. She tells him that everything ends in decay and oh sorry everything ends and decays we keep cutting that hillary's having dinner with gary at this point yes with a crap accented waiter uh, but also that that diner scene is shot very much like one of the dream sequences so the, that in and of itself is confusing because i'm thinking oh there's another dream sequence now because he's drinking a milkshake in a weird diner mm. but it's not this is actually happening yeah yeah this is yeah not a dream sequence so like i said hillary's having dinner with gary she wants to know where Neil is. Um, Gary makes it up that Neil can't deal with reality and he's also had numerous other fiancés and Hillary is upset. I put that Anna Chancellor is dressed like a magician in this scene. Um, uh, well, I put that she looks like the third member of Shakespeare's sister. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Uh, but I quite like that. Mm. I, I, I also noticed at this point that I like his kind of updating of his makeshift cast for his arm. So, every, you know, in every scene, there's like a, a different thing kind of holding his cast together or it's like a magazine bound up with a bungee cord and a spoon yeah. or something. I did like, I liked the, the, the makeshift cast that he has. I liked the way he was changing gear with it, you know, in the car and he had it wrapped up in magazines and coat hangers. And she's doing more kind of uh, amateur psychology questions to him, uh, including this probably, I know I've already said this about three times, but this is my favourite line for the film and says a lot about me, including the line, when did you start masturbating? And he says, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Which that, that was, I think that was the only time that actually made me laugh out loud. Yeah, I think that, that's... That was quite a men behaving badly line. I was, yeah, I was going to say that's the most men behaving badly I think we get. And I think, yeah, that's a good joke. And yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, and then she realizes that he's actually quite boring and all he wants to do is get the, to the church on time to get married to Hillary. Um, so we cut back to Gary and Hillary having this meal and now he's gaslighting her, saying, you know, that he did cheat on her, but it was a cry for help. So it was her fault. A, a bloke who's. So then we cut back to the diner and a bloke who's dressed like The Undertaker turns up with a sawn off shotgun. Neil goads the man into shooting him, but the gun backfires, and then the lad who works as a way to knocks him out with a cup, I think. And that line, that uh, sorry, that bit of uh, monologue there, where he's uh, telling the armed robber what a shit day he's had, and you'd just be doing me a favour. I, I, that's quite a nice monologue, and there's not enough bits like that. And that feels a little bit men behaving badly as well. Yeah, and I think actually you have a bit of an insight into his character there where he's not just reacting to what other people are doing or saying. I think yeah. that's actually the first, well, one of the only times where you actually find out how Neil's feeling. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, so Carmen is upset. Neil consoles her. They go to a hotel with only one room left because we've got a Doctor Who convention going on at the same time with people dressed as weird aliens presuming they're from Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah, kind of wasted on me. 
Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a massive Doctor Who fan. I, d- I did watch the the David Tennant one, kind of in the mid nineties. Uh, but yeah, so it turns out that Neil hasn't actually slept with Hillary, so they haven't consummated the relationship. Um, can't. But instead, he's about to have some sexy time with Svenny Peg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she tries to sleep with him, but no, actually, she turns him down. But we have a scene where mm-hmm. she starts like tying him up to the to the the light fitting behind which i wondered if is that trying to say that she's kind of got necrophiliac vibes because she works in a morgue oh yeah possibly yeah um i didn't think about that at the time but that makes sense yeah and then um he turns her down and then she says that if he wants her she'll be naked underwater fair play um followed by another dream sequence yeah this is uh carmen he's on the slab and carmen's cutting him up take this is scarier than scarier than anything in lesbian vampire killers as well. Yeah, and it looks you know meant to be a horror comedy. It looks a lot better as well, doesn't it? Do the these scenes look better than anything in lesbian vampire killers as well? Um, yeah, it, it's not bad, isn't this scene? She picks his heart up and and she drops it, and it's all quite scary but cartoony again. Um, and then he wakes up. Carmen's gone, but she's left him a note to catch the train and left him thirty pounds. Thirty pounds for a train, brilliant in those days. <laughs> Which is brilliant now. Yeah, thirty pound train now. So used to, and then the location because at this point they're still. I oh know they're in the Midlands somewhere, aren't they? So yeah, that is still cheap. Yeah, that that's still cheap. And uh, at this point, the location nerd in me when he arrives at Euston, I'm thinking, oh, Euston looks a bit different. <laughs> Yeah, different, different in the nineties. I love seeing London. I love seeing London in films. So even a shot of him walking out of Euston Station is great. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's good. I always like to yeah see different places in films, particularly. That's what's I guess what's good about looking at these sort of films is when they are kind of filmed on location, is spotting places that you might know. Um, Yeah, the wedding is still going ahead, and Sylvia Sims is cutting up pictures of Neil and Hillary together. Neil arrives at the toy shop to see Gary. He wants his help to smooth things over with Hillary. I mean, the fact that he still hasn't figured out that Gary's an absolute shit is baffling. And he's he says he's forgiven Gary for the prank that he's played. I mean, if one of your mates did that to you on the eve of your wedding, would you be forgiving him for this little prank so easily? This is a, I think this is a very 90s thing about... Um what stag do's were like or the, the kind of stereotype of stag do's and being tied to lampposts, etc. And this was just an extreme example of that. Yeah. But yeah, I, could, I couldn't forgive anyone for that. No, I agree. Uh, Gary tells him that the wedding will go ahead, but Hillary will be marrying him. Gary's found out about the inheritance. So it turns out that Hillary is set to inherit three quarters of a million pounds if she's married before she's 28. And this is the eve of her birthday. Something that's never hinted at at any point. I mean, this feels like a hurried, added bit of plot. Yeah. To expect, you know, it should at least have been hinted at at some point earlier on. Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, he knocks Neil out and puts him in a wolf costume and ties him up. And then a weird edit off the back of that as well, which, yeah, seemed rather jarring. Yeah, it's yeah, it's all a bit rushed, isn't it? Um and then we get Neil Morrissey with a ponytail as a videographer t- turning up at Sylvia Sims's house. Yeah, Neil Morrissey playing Jeff the videographer 
who has won a Golden Lens Cap Actuality Award, which <laughs> sounds like the sort of thing uh, that people uh, post on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> to well, try and get more work. I've, I've just won a Golden Lens Cap Actuality Award. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like that little detail. And Neil Morris is I, I like him in this. I would like to have seen a bit more of him. He is funny. Yeah, he is funny in this. And and we see a shot of a milkman as well, uh, which is a lovely bit of nostalgia there. And at this point, you know, as if we didn't think this already, you know, Neil is dodging a bullet. Because the first appearance of his fiance's dad is him reading a Daily Telegraph. Exactly. Tells you everything you need to know about the man. Um so back at the toy shop, the two girls from earlier, you know, Gary thrust his crotch at who giggled, uh, really upset because Gary is off the market now. Carmen shows up and they say openly, weirdo alert. And this is uh, her kind of dressed in quotation marks more normally. It's like it's almost like they've kind of spruced her hair up and tried to make her look just like an average person in this bit which I, I would rather they kept the calm and look from earlier on where she looked more individual. There's a shot of Trafalgar Square here as well that's kind of reminiscent of a uh, a shot of Trafalgar Square from an episode of Men Behaving Badly as well. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, going to the chemist in the middle of the night. I love that bit. Yeah, he's trying to get yeah. um, the milk and magnesium, is it, for Dorothy's indigestion? That's right, yeah. And then there's more more odd music at this point as well. The music's just getting crazier and crazier. Yeah, so we have um, the kids are kids are battering the 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 wolf, which has got Neil tied up in it. And this is when Carmen realizes it's him. Good POV shot of the kid taking the mask off off of his head. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, good bit of direction from uh, from Clunes there. So she saves him, they race off to the church, Gary bursts into the church yelling, you bastard, while a couple dressed as Elvis and Priscilla have their baby baptised. The, re- the running to the wrong church joke uh, is something that's done much better in Wayne's World 2. Same year, I think, Wayne's World 2 is 94, yeah. or possibly 93, um, but done much better. And that is obviously referencing The Graduate and, yeah, the Elvis and Priscilla just is probably have been dropped it just feels a typical joke uh, of this film i think does the elvis and priscilla bit there's no real reason for it we've got a bit of a, a line of dialogue that's summarizing plot coming up where uh, neil says we're not quite finished yet <laughs> <laughs> nearly the end of the film guy we're getting there we're on the final run so we've got gary giving his wedding speech neil interrupts it and confronts gary and i've put basically gives the exposition of the movie um, Neil punches Gary, yeah. who then grabs Neil's art, broken arm and kind of twists it around, which was looked quite That's painful. Some good, some good crap British sitcom punching. Yeah. In this uh, scene. So Neil tells Hillary that her mother murdered the donkey. Uh, we have a bit I really like where Neil Morrissey goes headfirst into the wedding cake, which is one of my favourite bits of the film. Yeah, good bit of slapstick there. And then he... Um, Neil gets off with Carmen. Yeah. Woo. Says, trust trust me, I'm a toy demonstrator. <laughs> they keep referencing that as his job, and it's, you know, it's not a job title that anyone recognises as being a real thing. And Was it a real work. thing then? I mean, are we thinking, is it because, like, when you go to, like, Harrods or something, I don't know, I've not been to Harrods in years, but they have kind of toy demonstrators there. Is that what yeah, it's... Yeah, maybe, or at the gadget shop where they're flying the remote control 
things. He's just a shop assistant, basically, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, like you said, he kisses Carmen. We then cut to the police interview where the recording is stopped, and the brummy copper calls it total bollocks. Yeah, the use of the word bollocks again. Uh, this time with no ADR. Uh, yeah, what do you think, Guy, about the the use of the this is a framing structure, the police interview? I, I don't think they cut back and forth to it enough for it to Yeah, I was just going to say, I, um, I think it's used too little. Either you stick to it and it's sort of a comment on the scene or maybe like a foreboding of what's going to happen. I quite liked it in the beginning, but it only feels like it's used in the sort of beginning and then we end up with a... It, it just disappears for like large stretches of the of the film. So I wish they'd used it more. Either use it more or don't use it at all, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, rather disjointed kind of uh, kind of plot that gets wrapped up in the end with a bizarre end scene. What's that phone box about? <laughs> yeah, it's Gary um, naked, covered with a plant. Entering the... It's not Gary, it's Neil. Oh, I've done, done it, again. it again. Done it okay. again. It's my notes. And maybe that's the point. No, I thought it was Gary. It's, it's, it's Gary. Oh, yeah, Gary. Sorry, I fucked it up now. You've done it this time. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is Gary. Yeah, Gary covered in a plant pot, enters a telephone yeah. box in the middle of nowhere, the end. Yeah. It just, you didn't need that. You didn't need that scene, I don't think. I don't know what it was trying to... Were, were they thinking they were going to get a sequel and have Michael Praed as the, the lead? I doubt yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he was a tough sell as a as a main character even in 1994, wasn't he? All his best work in the 80s. Yeah, it's a strange casting choice, I think. My final note is odd film. Strange, is it? And intentionally odd a lot of the time. Mm. And I actually, I like those. But I mean, what what works well and what doesn't work well for you in this film? I, I like the dream sequences. Um but they just just everything seems to be a bit all over the place in terms of style and and tone, doesn't it? Particularly the the score. I think I like the idea originally of it being a race against time movie, but it doesn't really stick to. It never seems to stick to anything. So I like the idea of you know it being someone left. He's got a race against time to get back to his wedding. I like that you've got you know some good comedy actors and people you know well well known to us. You know Griff Rhys Jones and Julia Deakin and other people. Neil Morrissey showing up. But I, I just think the whole thing just is quite forgettable and doesn't nothing really sticks with it. Um, and in the end, it's a little bit boring. There's nothing really kind of tangible to kind of grab hold of. And like we said, you know, Neil um, Martin Clunes' character, there's not enough going on there. There's not enough. I don't know if maybe he was concentrating on directing too much that he forgot to sort of add anything to his performance but I think as a leading man he doesn't really bring much to it and he's someone whose TV work I really enjoy yeah that's it isn't it I think uh, boring is the is probably the uh, the operative word that is not as unforgivably boring as lesbian vampire killers is you know like it it, it rattled rattled along but I mean yeah pretty unsatisfactory I would say did you enjoy it? I enjoyed bits of it. And I think it, if I was sitting down watching it, not for the purposes of this uh, podcast and actually just just watching it, not making notes, I think I'd, I'd probably enjoy little bits and pieces of it more. 
but I don't think I'll be watching it again. No, I think that DVD I bought for eBay for three pounds will be going to a charity shop near me. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder, would you have enjoyed it if you'd have watched it back in the late nineties? Do you think? I don't know. No, I th- I think I'd have enjoyed it less because I think I would have been really hoping for some more men behaving badly and 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 you know would have been massively disappointed by it. So actually, it's it's probably better to watch with you know, much more in hindsight with a critical hat on, but not great. Yeah, it feels quite dated as well, particularly when you've got other films of a similar time. You know, you think about British movies like Shallow Grave or Trainspotting a couple of years afterwards. I mean, I know you're dealing with Danny Boyle, who's, you know, one of the kind of modern master directors, but even so, you know, kind of coming out with his early early work at that time just feels light years ahead of what Staggered was doing. I wonder if it could have been quite a bit different if um, this original Sandy Johnson guy had stayed on to direct and Martin Clunes could have just concentrated on acting. Mm. Um, but we'll never know. Um, what do you think the legacy of this film is, Guy? I don't really think it it has one, other than maybe Anna Chancellor. Kind of, I think she's definitely the best thing in this film. I really like her performance. Because it could have been quite quirky and quite annoying, but she brings something to it that's interesting and quite grounded. To say there's all these weird things about, you know, this sort of amateur psychologist coming through, that she she really does bring something to it, and I enjoyed her performance in it. Yeah, I'd agree. This film does nothing really to kind of elevate the career of anyone in it beyond this film, other than Anna Chancellor, and it is kind of a, she was the one who got all the good reviews from this film at the time and subsequently. Uh, and she obviously goes on to have a, a great career in, in film and in TV. I think everyone else's is kind of unaffected by it, really. It is kind of the end of Michael Prader's kind of big characters and anything. Um, doesn't really change Martin Clunes' trajectory in terms of men behaving badly. Um, but obviously changes his life in terms of meeting his future wife. Maybe that maybe that's the leg. In fact, maybe the, the legacy of this is those two getting married and making all the dog and travel documentaries. Yeah, we wouldn't have had those if we hadn't have had staggered. So for that, it, we can be grateful if you enjoy those. It's not had it's not had a big impact on the uh, British cultural or cinematic landscape. It's fair to say. Yeah, but um, we now have a second film to throw into the mix of our ongoing rankings. I think we're going to be pretty unanimous in uh, how we feel about this compared to Lesbian Vampire Killers. Lesbian Vampire Killers is currently top and bottom of our list. Where is it now, Guy? I think it has to be number one, doesn't it, really? I think it's our best Lesbian film. Lesbian Vampire Killers is number I was one. Gonna say, I was going to say staggered, but if you want to fight the corner for Lesbian no. Vampire Killers, Rob, I'll let you go ahead. I absolutely don't. Staggered has enough in it to easily be better and more watchable and funnier and more charming and more every less cynical and more everything than lesbian vampire killers so Mm. that is an easy choice for me but i don't think as we go on that either of these two are going to be staggered will be nowhere near the top of our list uh but i do think lesbian vampire killers is going to be near the bottom yeah, I think you're right. I think it'll be interesting to see if we can watch anything worse than Lesbian Vampire Killers will be the, the question. It's currently a list of two. So uh, let's see where we go. 
Let's finish with some quiz questions, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. I'm currently leading you 4-3. Uh, so you've written some questions for me about Martin Clunes, and I've written some questions for you about men behaving badly. Shall I go first? Yeah, you go for it. So first question, Guy, on men behaving badly. Which star of The Fast Show replaced Dave Atkins' Les the Pub Landlord as Ken the Pub Landlord in Series 5? John Thompson. Correct. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. 1-0, Guy. So Martin Clunes was obviously in the rise and fall of Reginald Perrin, but who played him originally? That was Leonard Rossiter. It was. One point to Rob. So we're one each at the moment. Second question for Guy. Uh, What are the names of Gary's two co-workers at his security firm? Anthea and George. Anthea and George, yes. Well done. Uh, two of the best characters in the main, badly, I would say. Yeah. And that's 2-1 two, two, to you, Guy. So, in Martin Clunes' latest sitcom, Warren, what job does he do? Holy shit. Is he a toy demonstrator? No, that's not actually my answer. <laughs> uh, I don't know, because I've never seen Warren, and I've done very little uh, research into your potential quiz questions, which is silly of me. Uh, I'm going to guess Chef. No, he's a driving instructor. Ah, of course he is. That comedy gold. Uh, who directed all 42 episodes of Men Behaving Badly? Oh, God. All of them. So the same person did all. Yeah, and a big name on the uh, sitcom landscape. Oh, God. In terms of direct, directed a lot of British TV comedy. His name is Martin Dennis. Um, yeah, so in the TV movie Beauty... Clunes plays an ugly recluse, but who wrote the one-off special? Uh, I don't know, so I'm going to go for uh, just a, a TV writer name. Kay Meller. Simon Nye, the writer of Men Behaving Badly. Oh, why didn't I think about that more? That's annoying. <laughs> um, in, in Men Behaving Badly, who does Gary have a giant poster of underneath his dining tablecloth? Oh, God. So someone 90s, a 90s... Well, they always like Kylie, didn't they? Is it Kylie Minogue? It's not Kylie. No, not in this case. There's lots of Kylie references, but in this case, it's Emma Forbes. Oh, of course, it's Emma Forbes. Peak 90s reference that, Emma Forbes. Gutted. Um, Okay, so which theatre does Mike Clunes live opposite? Wow. He lives in... Is it in London? Yeah. He lives pretty central then, doesn't he? Uh, I know which theatre I would like to live opposite, and that would be the Old Vic. Is it the Old Vic? No, it's the Globe. Wow. He's done well out of a career in British TV, hasn't he? He has. See? So is Philippa. <laughs> My final question, supposed to be the hardest, what is the name of the spoof 1967 version of Men Behaving Badly made as a sketch for Comet Relief in 1999? Oh, God, 60s. I think I watched this as well back back then, but I can't remember. I don't know. Chaps behaving horribly. Uh, no, it's called Naughty Boys. <laughs> but there was... In, in Harry Enfield, there, they did a sketch for uh, Mr. Chumley Warner, which was a uh, Mr. Chumley Warner times. 
version of men behaving badly called men behaving splendidly <laughs> i'm gonna have to go and watch both of those i'm sure they're on youtube okay so my final question what is the name of the 1996 tv movie about when a group of british raf pilots have to share barracks with the american air force oh god i don't know barracks over here <laughs> answer was a load of barracks yeah over here uh, well no wonder i don't know that uh, one instantly forgettable name for a tv show yeah i do remember watching it and martin clunes had a nervous tick during that which uh, was used for comedic effect as things lo- lovely lovely bit of ableism there yeah exactly I, okay guys well neither of us did particularly well there but you won that one two one which puts our series scores at five each delicately poised Ooh. going into our next episode which is what is our next episode guy our next episode is 1974's man about the house which is a spin-off from the tv series of the same name so our first actual spin-off of a sitcom yeah i'm excited to see what it's going to be like i've watched a couple of episodes of the first series and actually quite enjoying it obviously it's got a few problematic elements uh, to it with it being the early 70s but nothing too bad and we'll see what the film has to offer you're excited i'm filled with a deep sense of dread about this (laughs) (laughs) but i i I hope there's some uh uh there's something in there that's going to uh prove me wrong slightly fingers crossed we'll find out on the next episode thank you for listening to brickcon goes to the movies with guy walker and rob heath thanks to mark phillips for the podcast artwork you can get in touch with us by emailing BritcomGoes at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as at BritcomGoes. 